Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name's Christian Nichols, and on behalf of B Sydney, it's my absolute pleasure to welcome you to our Global Insights series, Anticipating Tomorrow. Our aim today and throughout the series is to tap on our global et experts and networks um, to bring you insightful and challenging discussions that will help us all chart a path through COVID and what lies ahead. We're coming to you live from the ICC Sydney's broadcast suite today. And this is actually the venue that will host the world's most prestigious space research congress at the end of January, COSPA. You'll hear a little bit about that today. And I'm delighted to bring you the first in our webinar series titled The Space Race, How and Why Australia's Space Sector is Accelerating Faster Than Anywhere Else on Earth. We have an amazing panel for you today. Uh, leaders from academia, from industry and from government to discuss why space is the next frontier for economic development here in Australia. And I will introduce them shortly. I encourage you to submit any questions or comments on our LinkedIn and Twitter handles that are shown here on the screen. And we'll answer any of those questions after the conclusion of today's session. I would now though like to welcome our CEO, Lynn Lewis-Smith to say a few words. Thank you, Christian. Um, welcome, everybody. As we are coming to you live from the ICC Sydney, let me acknowledge the traditional landowners um, of the land on which we meet, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Well, a very warm welcome to our expert panellists and to everyone joining us online. Um, by the nature of B Sydney, our role is to secure global meetings for Sydney. Um, and so it's highly fitting that we are joined by a truly global audience today. I welcome everyone that is joining us from across Australia, Asia, Europe and the Americas. So welcome everybody. As Christian mentioned, um, today's a precursor to the world's most prestigious space conference, COSPAR, and it will happen here at the ICC in January 2021. Now, COSPAR was initially um, going to take place last month in a very much face-to-face -face format, but obviously the current environment um, doesn't enable us to do that this year, but next year the event will be reimagined as a hybrid event. And I'm pleased to say there's been significant um, awareness of this event and interest in attending. So I, um, the invitation is out there to all of you to attend in January next year. There's no doubt the hybrid meetings will be the way forward um, in the near future, if not indefinitely. And that's not a bad thing because it gives us the opportunity and importantly the presenters the opportunity to share their knowledge and insights to an expanding global audience. And you're gonna hear some great um, insights today from our panellists. We're really excited about this session, the first in Anticipating Tomorrow webinars, um, and we're certainly going to start the, the conversation now. So um, take, take your seats and uh, enjoy the journey. Over to you, Christian. 
Thanks very much, Lynn. So let me introduce uh, our panellists. Um, firstly, Professor Russell Boyce, uh, the Chair of Intelligent Space Systems and uh, the Director of UNSW Canberra Space. Uh, you're also uh, the Chair of COSPA. Um, we'll hear more about that shortly. Um, I should say uh, in advance, a more detailed biography is available in our invitation um, for those uh, online. Ingrid Marsh, uh, the Director of Industry Development uh, within New South Wales Treasury, uh, overseeing jobs, investment and tourism. Uh, and then virtually joining us, we have Dr. Scott Sleep, who's the Project Leader, STEM Industry School Partnership Program with the New South Wales Department of Education. And also we have Rod Drury, who's the Vice President International of Lockheed Martin Space. So thank you all for joining us today. Russell, I'd like to come to you first. Um, you were actually featured on a Four Corners uh, story just last week, which I watched with interest on the space industry. So I'm really keen to get your views on how Australia is faring in that space race. We were, some could say, a bit slower to get to that party. Uh, the Australian Space Agency was only established two years ago. So can you give us an update? Where's the, that space agency at? Um, and how are we going as a nation to build a global competitive advantage? Thanks, Christian, and, and thanks, everybody. Well, um, to answer your question, the, the Australian Space Agency has a vision to, to grow a significant number of jobs, uh, to increase the, the size of the space industry by about 20,000 jobs in the coming years and grow it by about $8 billion uh, uh, contribution to GDP. To do that, it's, it's, uh, it released the Australian Civil Space Strategy and it's based upon four strategic pillars, and two of those pillars are very, very important for today's conversation. Uh, one of those pillars is um, around uh, the emphasis on innovative leapfrog research and development to be able to build the technological breakthroughs that are needed and to be able to equip, equip our, uh, our growing industry sector, which is growing at an astonishing rate, uh, to equip it to be globally competitive. Um, the second pillar, uh, which I'd like to, I'll mention in, in a few minutes as well, is what the Space Agency calls INSPIRE, and that's around uh, inspiring uh, young people and the public and establishing the future workforce that is needed for that uh, space industry. So back to the, the first pillar, it turns out that uh, traditionally it's the, the activities associated with space research uh, the push the boat out technological developments that are needed to, uh, to support uh, exploration goals, that are needed to support uh, the science that is done from space and of space, those push the boat out activities are typically the ones that lead to the, the disruptive innovations mm. that are spun off into significant commercial opportunities. In recent years, particularly in the last decade, uh, there's been a complete paradigm shift with uh, what has been called the renaissance of space. And this is why the Australian Space Agency was formed and this is the opportunity that confronts us now. It's around the miniaturisation of space technologies. Small spacecraft, which are agile and robust and which are accessible and accessible by Australians. And the coupling of that disruption with uh, technologies from other sectors, emerging technologies such as artificial intelligence, quantum technologies, uh, Internet of Things, uh, cyber technologies. And this crossover is where the opportunity lies for Australia. And that's what the Australian Space Agency is trying to support. 
one of the key things to note in that is that uh, it's not just about space for the sake of space and it's not just about the traditional space players who currently understand space and think that that's for them. Uh, the opportunity that is in front of us right at the moment is for non-traditional uh, research organisations and uh, companies and even government departments uh, and, and the general public to gain an awareness of what space means for them, uh, what the impact of space-based technologies could mean for their activities, for their business, and how they might play a role into that, that overlap between space and those other areas. Very, very exciting opportunities, and this is what the Space Agency is going after. The second uh, pillar that I wanted to mention, the INSPIRE pillar, that's so important for, uh, for building the, the high-tech um, savvy uh, workforce of the future, um, who will in turn be able to uh, take advantage of these opportunities. But it's not just about the STEM, it's not just about the technical, the engineering, the science, it's also about uh, issues of ethics, uh, issues of regulation and law, uh, impact of space-related uh, outcomes on society at large. COSPAR, this very, very large conference that we've brought to Sydney, um, is perfectly poised uh, to help deliver on that. It brings the entire global space research community in one form or another, mostly virtual as it had turned out, uh, to Australia to interact with, with each other and, and with Australians. At a time where Australia and the world uh, needs uh, robust conversation, robust uh, technology-based, uh, evidence-based advice, uh, science-driven advice, and it also needs um, a level of um, totally out-of-the-box approaches to solve the problems that we have. And space represents that in spades. Now we've gone hybrid. That brings its challenges. Many conferences around the world have, have opted to go virtual or, or hybrid. Uh, they tend to be um, uh, simply uh, turning the program into a Zoom-based program and people can join at awful times of day or night. The opportunity that we have here in Australia with COSPAR, and this is what we are doing, is showing the world the art of the possible. And that, uh, that approach to delivering large gatherings in a virtual sense uh, that enables not just uh, scientific exchange, but the networking, the corridor conversations, the, the overlap between sectors, is what we will be achieving. Fantastic. And we can probably touch a little bit more yep. on, on that Coast Bar program and I guess what your vision was previously and, and how you're achieving that vision now mm. in this hybrid environment uh, in, in a little while. But that's yep. great, Russell. Thank you so much for, for kicking us off there. I think you've touched on a couple of really interesting areas around uh, particularly industry where it's not just space for space at the moment. There are industries now uh, who all have a, a vested interest in learning more about space and I think that uh, leads us into Ingrid. Uh, you know, obviously you, you head up uh, industry development for the New South Wales government. Um, and I know at the start of this year, uh, you released the New South Wales Space Industry Development Strategy. So keen to hear um, what does the space industry mean um, to the space industry, but more importantly, beyond the space industry to associated industries here in New South Wales. Absolutely. Thanks very much, Christian. Um, look, as um, Russ mentioned before, Australia 
through the Australian Space Agency has um, set targets to triple the size of the space industry by 2030. And New South Wales really sees ourselves as playing a key part in supporting that national vision. Um, as you mentioned, we uh, launched our first space industry development strategy in February this year. Um, and for us, it was not only about growing the space industry, within New South Wales, um, but it was about the opportunities that space as a domain provides for greater um, innovation, productivity, economic value across the whole economy. Mm. And that if, if all of our businesses can start to understand the opportunities that space could bring to them that it will actually stimulate and enable a much more vibrant economy for New South Wales now and into the future. And so we're looking to support our, our space businesses within New South Wales. Um, New South Wales um, has the largest number of um, space startups outside of the US. Um, mm. And um, so we see fantastic opportunities for this, um, but we also see opportunities in particular around some of our other industries that New South Wales has real strength in. So that includes, um, you know, sectors like ag tech or mining or transport mm. or um, med tech, for example, all these dis disparate industries that could all benefit um, from space technologies going forward. Fantastic. That's great. And I think, um, again, we'll touch back to Russell in a moment around, because I think you're trying with COSPAR to be this nexus for trying to bring awareness across different industries. And I think it's interesting. I mean, a relevant example at the moment is what we've just gone through with COVID. And you're seeing uh, organisations and industries pivot to to vaccine development or to hand sanitizer development and uh, that, that never would have thought about that as an opportunity and I guess we're looking for um, a similar transformation um, with raising that awareness about the space and the opportunities um, that are there. Um, thanks Ingrid, we'll come back to you um, in a little while. Scott, um, Russell mentioned um, that uh, one of the big challenges here is inspiring um, uh, that next generation of leaders um, and it's all about STEM, is what, what I, I'm being told. Um, it's, it, it's, it must be a significant challenge though with an education system of, of how do you, do, do you shift a system um, to educate, but then also to inspire the next generation of Russells and Rods um, uh, to have an exciting career path um, in this field. So Scott, can you tell us what's, what's happening um, in STEM education at the moment? Um, what's, what's working now? And importantly, uh, what needs to happen in the future um, for our population to have the necessary skills um, to take advantage of this industry? Yes, thank you very much, um, Christian. And yes, this is a big challenge to try to inspire the next generations of Russells and Rods, but we'll, we'll do our best. Um, but I'd also just like to start by thanking Business Events Sydney's for their leadership and foresight in developing this um, global insight series and also acknowledge the fact that the organisers have included me as a representative for education as part of this esteemed group. This actually acknowledges the importance of taking a long-term perspective on workforce development and education's important role in this development. So I just want you to contemplate this that some people who are going to be pivotal in Australia's future in space 
may not have even been born yet. And research from Duke University suggests that 65% of children currently in primary schools today will assume careers that do not yet exist. We know that 75% of the fastest growing occupations require STEM skills. We also know that 57% of our current engineering workforce is trained overseas, and we already have a heavy reliance on visas to meet current um, STEM skill shortages. More needs to be done so we can meet our skills needs locally, which will have untold benefits for many areas of our society. In fact, Modelling from PricewaterhouseCoopers suggests that by moving just 1% of our current workforce into STEM roles would have a $57.4 billion impact on our GDP. Preparing young people to fully exploit the opportunities that currently exist in merging areas such as space will also mean that we have young people who have access to high quality and high paying jobs. Uh, it's important to note over the past two decades, participation in challenging STEM subjects has declined by up to 10%. At the same time, technological advancement and automation means that industry demand for these STEM skills is increasing daily. This should be something that we're very concerned about, and I believe a different approach needs to be taken to meet our current and future workforce needs. A whole of government, industry, university and education approach is pivotal for this to be successful. So this is why I actually developed the STEM Industry Schools Partnerships Program for the New South Wales Department of Education. So CISP recognises the need to build an ecosystem to support the ongoing development of STEM skills. The program is delivered in association with leading Australian companies, universities, government agencies and industry associations, which is building this ecosystem that will support job growth at all levels. CISP was developed in response to the National STEM Education Strategy and is achieving many of the objectives and, that are, and has been attributed to increasing STEM participation in the Hunter region by around 19%. It's important to acknowledge our successes and the fact that Australia now has the fastest growing space sector on the planet means that we're getting some things very right. This is also a testimony to the fact that Australia produces some of the best engineers and scientists in the world. I believe we need to do more to exploit these opportunities and COSPAR is a perfect opportunity to bring Australia's space industry into sharp focus. Through the CIS program, we are working in partnership with the organisers of COSPAR on COSPARC. So COSPARC is the educational program that has been developed for the, for the event. COSPARC has a massive potential to let young people of Australia know that they can have a job in space within New South Wales and within Australia. It also has a massive potential to boost STEM education in general. And now the hybrid nature of this event has the potential to reach even more students with initiatives such as our COSPARC TV. More needs to be done to encourage young people into STEM. We also need to educate parents, teachers of the huge potential emerging technology such as space could have for their future. So COSPAR and COSPARC comes at the most opportune time for this to occur. Fantastic. 
Thanks, Scott. Um, some some pretty amazing statistics you had in there. If we shift, I think I got them right. If you shift one one percent more towards STEM roles, it'll have a fifty billion dollar plus impact on GDP, which is pretty pretty significant. Um, and again, that talks to you know inspiring um, people that. Uh, what they may have thought about an engineer's career path, for instance, uh, is quite different in the future. Um, it's always challenging getting your head around that the future leaders haven't even been born yet. Um, um, but of a, a parent of teenage children, um, it's great to hear this discussion to understand what are the skills that are going to be needed uh, moving forward. And we were talking about that earlier, Russell, that it's, um, it's not just the uh, technical skills that are required, but it's also the communication and leadership skills as well. That's right. It's Space is one of those uh, areas that are a no-brainer for inspiration. In fact, young kids these days don't need inspiration when it comes to space. But the nice thing about space is it's, it's part of the fabric. It touches everything that modern society uh, does and, and depends upon. And it's so complex that engaging young people in the space domain actually gets them thinking in complex ways and gets them challenging some gnarly questions and he's actually developing the future leaders not just the future technologists. Mm, fantastic. Alright so Rod I'd keen to come to you now um, as uh, Vice President International of Lockheed Martin Space. You're also an ad advisor to the Australian Space Agency and uh, your remit uh, is pretty significant. It's, it's geographically it's everything outside of North America is my understanding so uh, you must be a busy individual at times and probably enjoying not being on an aeroplane for the last uh, six months or so. But you also have a very unique global perspective on the space industry. So I'm keen to hear from you, how, how is Australia positioned and what do we need to do, um, some of the areas we've touched on already, um, to be a global leader in this field? And, and interesting also to, to understand, where, where are you getting your talent from? Yeah, thanks very much, uh, Christian, uh, for the introduction. And can I just acknowledge uh, Business uh, Event Sydney uh, for keeping the dialogue going around space. Uh, yes, I am uh, honoured to be the chair of the uh, Space Industry Leaders Forum here in Australia. Um, it's a, um, a very vibrant, um, great group to be part of, uh, and it's one way that you can stay uh, across uh, what Australia is uh, trying to do, uh, both locally uh, and globally. Uh, from an Australian uh, industry perspective, uh, I think we're very, very well positioned. Um, often people forget uh, that back in uh, July 69, uh, Australia was one of the first countries, in fact, the third country, to uh, build its own satellite and launch it uh, from the uh, Woomera test range. Um, and that was a significant feat. And we've been in this industry um, in a national sense and somewhat in a global sense pretty much from that period of time. Uh, whilst it may not have been at the forefront of people's minds, um, the industry, uh, academia, uh, research and development has continued. Uh, and one of the great um, activities I get to have as I travel around the world is run into the many Australians uh, who have uh, got roles uh, in various companies around the globe. Um, often in leadership roles, often in very high profile roles. Um, and it's great that they are making those contributions and that the calibre of our education, of our training, of our skills, of our expertise is, um, is being uh, well and truly uh, recognised. Um, with regard to what do we need to do going forward, frankly, I think we need to maintain the direction. Uh, we've got to maintain the energy. Um, and what we've got is we've got a very, very solid foundation. 
established upon what I believe are the central pillars, and those central pillars being uh, a solid uh, and, and trusted uh, education framework. Uh, we've got very good uh, research and development capabilities. We're a nation that uh, we're known as be, to be a nation of innovators. Um, we've got good uh, local industry spanning an array of different skills and capabilities. And uh, I guess myself uh, and the company that I represent is evidence uh, that we've drawn international attention. Um, and this takes me, if you like, to the uh, role of Lockheed Martin uh, with regard to COSPAR. We're very proud uh, to be the anchor sponsor. Uh, we see that, um, if you like, as a responsibility of being uh, a global uh, community member of the space community. Um, we are not only here, if you like, to, uh, to build the business and deliver solutions to the customers, but we think it's important that we invest in local companies, uh, in academia, through their research and development programs, uh, partner with local industries to deliver great capabilities. And so when uh, Russell's team uh, first approached us uh, some years ago now about being involved uh, with the cost bar activity, uh, personally, I believe it was a natural progression. It built upon our involvement at the International Astronautical Congress in 2017. Um, and we are really proud and very privileged uh, to be involved with COSPAR uh, 2020, although it will be held in 2021. Uh, and we look forward to what we think will be an outstanding uh, virtual hybrid uh, activity. And as Russell pointed out, uh, for the exchanges that will take place, um, the growth that will uh, it will generate, and frankly, just the interest uh, and the spotlight it will put on to uh, into Australia. Fantastic. Thanks, Rod. Um, I'm keen to touch on a couple of areas with you, and maybe the panel can pick this up as well, is obviously Lockheed Martin is a significant global organisation. I'm keen to understand where do you go fishing for talent? Where, where do you go, uh, and, and obviously you've got thousands of different roles, but um, what educational background and skills background, uh, Rod, first, are you looking for um, when you're bringing on and expanding your workforce? Well, I, I, first of all, it's a great question. Um, we, we're obviously very fortunate in, in the sense that we can draw from across the globe. Uh, but first and foremost, um, there's obviously a couple of uh, issues that um, uh, shape, if you like, where we, uh, where we tend to recruit from. Um, we do tend to recruit from uh, countries that have got well-established and well-credentialed uh, education programs, um, particularly those that have got uh, skills and experience that they can share and develop with their uh, students and graduates as they can bring them either through advanced academic uh, programs, uh, postgraduate programs, or where they can get exposure to skills and experience. Um, we also um, draw, uh, as Ross, uh, Russ alluded to a little earlier, um, in a lot of uh, breadth when it comes to education. People often think about STEM and clearly that's uh, particularly important to us in the vast majority of the roles uh, that we undertake. But people often don't think about the other skills that are required, particularly uh, in areas uh, perhaps that we think of, but we don't necessarily um, look below the surface in, the, in a deep sense for the skills that are required. For example, you know, we hold uh, ambition uh, to uh, conduct uh, missions to Mars. Uh, that will be a, in a very extended period of travel, some seven to eight months uh, in both directions and probably a similar period as a minimum uh, in that region. 
So uh, medical uh, skills become uh, important, psychological skills, uh, ethics. Uh, Russ has already mentioned about uh, legal skills. I mean, there's a lot of other skills just than being a, quote, rocket scientist uh, or rocket engineer or a satellite uh, engineer uh, that is required. But uh, yes, we're very fortunate um, being the world's largest space uh, uh, company. Um, we do attract a, a lot of attention. Uh, we do have a lot of good Australians uh, making contributions and I'm very proud to be part of that group. Fantastic. Um, Ingrid, Christian, do you want to just, add just to picking up on that, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, it's great that we've got um, people like Scott working on the, the pipeline of, of students and we've got some fantastic talent here in Australia. I think um, the University of Sydney last year had a rocketry team uh, that went to New Mexico. It was the first time Australia had fielded a university team in that and, and they managed to win in their category. Um, so we've got some really great uh, local talent, but we are also recognising that in some of the highly skilled areas that we need to be um, attracting talent from overseas. And, you know, nationally, we've just recently, uh, last year, established a global talent attraction program, um, and space is an identified sector in that visa scheme to try draw um, you know, some of the best and brightest from around the world. And I think um, Australia as a location, and obviously I would say New South Wales, um, is an exciting place to be right now. You know, there's a, there's a lot happening and um, there's a real buzz going on in the sector around the opportunities. Fantastic, I think that's a good point. It's not just, uh, it's important that uh, we're not only um, educating the next generation, um, but clearly there's there's demand here and now for experienced individuals to to lead or grow organisations. So Russell, to you, in terms of where do you go fishing for um, for your talent? What's the the background that you're looking for in your teams? It's important to recognise that. Um, there's not really any such thing as a space professional, for example, a space engineer. There are electrical engineers, there are mechanical engineers, there are uh, computer scientists, data scientists, software programmers. Uh, it's all of that which has to come together into a complex system. And so we go after all of that. We particularly want people who have skills in a certain area, um, and, and, and there's many, many areas, but who also have the capacity to think at a, a higher level, to think at a systems level and, and can understand the big picture. So that agility of thinking is very, very important because they have to understand how, how their part plugs into the next and the next and the, the very complex interdependencies. Um, therefore, there is scope for almost anybody uh, who, who wants to or, or, or dreams of having a, a role in the space sector in Australia, there is scope for almost anybody to have a role um, and we look far and wide. Fantastic. Mm. I think it's interesting, I mean uh, Rod mentioned obviously 1969 um, and, and I think it, the feeling now is that space is far more accessible to 
um, to the community to understand what space is. Back then it was, for Australians, it was a man on the moon and the Parkes telescope. Mm -hmm. Today, you know, your phone, your GPS tracking, it's far more, you know, you see uh, Elon Musk launching a, 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 a rocket into space and bringing it back down. It, people feel like there's actually, it's far more tangible um, and accessible now than ever before. So hopefully that's providing a little bit of that inspiration um, uh, to, to, uh, to people as they go along. One area I wanted to come back to was you mentioned at the beginning um, this concept of leapfrog R&D. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit more um, and maybe some examples of, of that in the Australian setting? Leapfrog R&D um, is the innovative research that leads to significant advances in a technology. That that might not be a disruptive thing. It might be something that simply uh, it advances a technology that a, a given um, supplier, Lockheed for example, uh, uses to meet the needs of their customers. But on the other hand, it might be truly disruptive where you take something uh, that might be applicable in the first instance to uh, a different set of customers, a, a different technology, uh, sorry, a, a different application area and you bring it into, um, in this case, into the space domain. So as a specific example, artificial intelligence. Space, we here on Earth rely on space-based technologies ultimately for information and communication. Getting the information doesn't just happen and the space system today doesn't just automatically create the information. Uh, it creates data from its sensors and that data comes down the telemetry pipeline and somehow has to be converted into information. The way of the future is the application of data analytics, of machine learning, uh, not just clever curve fitting, but, but true deep learning, and, and deep learning that takes place on the space system itself, so that sensing turns into data, turns into information on the space system and delivered to the user in real time. That's true disruption and the user can then take a decision and do it rapidly and with confidence. Um, just uh, a, a quick uh, related example, uh, blockchain. If you want to take decisions based on information coming from a space system, you need to be confident that uh, it's, it's authentic, that you can rely upon it. And technologies such as blockchain enable you to um, effectively do a transaction with that spacecraft and to be confident, even down to the, the, the smallest bit of information, that it is what it says it is. Hmm. Fantastic. Uh, Ingrid, do you want to jump in there? Uh, you also uh, keen to understand, you're talking about startups. What, what role do they play, I guess, in, um, in Australia? We've got a significant um, startup community in the space or associated area. Yeah, well, I guess, I guess you know, you obviously have companies like Lockheed um, who you know, have moved into space. They weren't originally a space company. Um, but then outside of that, every other company largely um, is a startup in the space sector. And we have companies across the whole sort of gamut um, from, you know, companies that are doing really exciting things with the data, like Fluorosat, where they're, you, you know, um, using satellite data to do precision agriculture, um, all the way through to um, other companies that are um, consulting on space law, 
for example. Um, you know, we have we have a, a representative here in Sydney that is on the the UN um, Space Law Council, so we've got real capabilities in some of those areas. Um, um, and also space situational awareness and those sorts of technologies. You know, recently um, uh, high earth robotics um, managed to um, take some pictures that were, um, you know, that were looking at how you could maintain a, a um, satellite. So looking for um, repair issues and that kind of thing so that you can actually service it and maintain it and understand what's happening mm. up there. Um, and there's massive, um, you know, uh, efficiencies, I guess, to be gained from some of these technologies. Um, but the point that I was going to pick up on around LeapFrog is that, you know, Australia's had real capability in this space and have, has, um, you know, already... Um, been heavily involved with leapfrog technologies like Wi-Fi, mm -hmm. right, that untethered us from computers, mm. right? Um, you know, so, so I think we've, we've got form in this area and we've got a real opportunity um, to do this in the space domain. Fantastic. And uh, Rod, I'll come to you on that point then as well, because you, you said, you know, we're a nation of innovators. So what, what are you seeing um, in that uh, leapfrog R&D, um, whether it be for Lockheed Martin or for um, more broadly in the Australian space industry? Well, I think there's a, a wide range of um, potential leapfrog uh, technologies available uh, in Australia. I think it goes back to Russ's point earlier that, um, you know, Australia's got a very, very solid uh, very uh, somewhat enviable reputation for innovation, as I said, around the world. Uh, a lot of that starts in uh, academia. Uh, some of it uh, obviously resides also in the small to medium enterprises and, of course, the network of uh, relationships that exist that, um, between those various entities. Um, you know, a good example of, um, of, of leapfrog technology uh, and where um, the applications and downstream processing could really benefit Australia is the uh, a current... Uh, uh, opportunity that's uh, in the marketplace around the uh, space-based uh, augmentation system, which will improve the uh, accuracy of navigation um, in uh, in Australia and New Zealand. Um, Lockheed Martin is uh, competing along with other companies uh, for that opportunity, but the real leapfrog. Uh, opportunities that exist for industry uh, at large is, is as we improve uh, the accuracy of that navigation signal in a sense from a 10 metre accuracy down to sub-metre accuracy, uh, there is a lots of uh, software applications and software programs and capabilities that can spin out of it uh, across the whole of government. Um, during the testbed process, um, we were able to uh, work with government to demonstrate the benefits, for example, uh, you know, in um, a broad array of areas, including aviation, um, autonomous vehicles, uh, shipping, uh, agriculture, uh, mining, uh, just to name a few. So there are examples that are upon us right today. Um, and I believe that Australia is very well positioned, uh, both uh, based on our academia, academia uh, community, uh, academic community, as well as our industrial community, uh, to take full advantage of that. And not only within Australia, but around the globe. Fantastic. Thanks, Rod. Um, 
Russell, I just want to touch, we've touched on cost bar a little bit, but I wouldn't mind digging into that a little bit further. Um, it's not hard enough planning an international conference and you've had to do that in a COVID environment. Um, yep. So you obviously had grand plans um, when you first decided to partner with B Sydney to bring cost bar to Australia and to Sydney. Um, how have those plans had to be adjusted um, in the COVID environment? Um, uh, clearly, you're going to have less physical attendees, but I'd imagine there's an opportunity to explode the virtual attendance side. Christian, you, um, you, you mentioned the, the vision that we had. Uh, when, when this story in Australia really started to get legs for, for hosting COSPAR, and, and by the way, uh, COSPAR itself, it's the, it's the international collection of space uh, research organisations ranging from space agencies to companies to uh, the academia. Um, there are, mm, it, it's, a, it's a staggering size uh, community. They had never been to this part of the world and the last time they were in the southern hemisphere was 50 something years ago. So we've successfully attracted it to Sydney and we had so many ideas for creativity and innovation with this, uh, with this conference. And we put the brakes on ourselves um, and, and said, okay, let's, let's not push too hard and, and too fast. Let's not break the cost bar toy, so to speak. Well, now we have 2020 arrives and COVID and, and it's a totally new ball game. Uh, the president of cost bar said to us recently, you've had your wish. It's time to be creative, um, to think out of the box. How are we going to deliver this conference? and not just not just concede defeat but how are we going to grow uh, the opportunities that could be there and so that's exactly what we're going after so um, we're basing everything now on uh, a bespoke virtual platform that's going to enable not just uh, listening to a webinar or, or, or watching a, a presentation on zoom uh, access to content, everything will be pre-recorded, uh, everything will be delivered in a combination of pre-record and interactive sessions in a way that's compatible with the time zones all the way around the world. And so we're going to find that uh, people from all over the world, including Australians, are going to be able to interact with each other and connect with each other and share and access you know, a thousand hours of content instead of a handful of hours. Mm. And to do that for a, um, a, a, for quite some time. Um, at the same time as that, we're able to put on parallel events. We're thinking of this as Cospar Plus. This is where we get to bring the artificial intelligence community or the cyber world, um, the ag tech world, the med tech world, start to bring them into uh, into overlap touch points so that conversations can be had that, that can open eyes. Yeah, I, I didn't know that my tech in my sector could play a role in the space sector and there's a business opportunity there for me, or I didn't know that what's happening in the space sector actually can help me in what I do. It can help me m manage my farm in a, a higher precision and, and more productive way, for mm. example. Mm. And I think also those opportunities as um, costs seem to be coming down um, uh, in space, technology is obviously ramping up. So I think the opportunities to be that nexus um, during this event are really exciting. Um, interesting that the COSPAR president thought that COVID was um, you having your wish 
um, interesting, <laughs> interesting. Um, but but clearly, it provides a, 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 an opportunity to to think of things differently, mm. um, which is great. Scott, I wanted to come back to you because part of this COSPAR Plus is the educational piece, and you mentioned a little bit about. Um, uh, I'm not sure if it's COSPAR. Cospar K or Cospark, um, but can you talk us uh, a little bit more about that program and um, just some practical things you're looking to do, whether it be physically here or online, to bring um, awareness, inspiration, and education to students and parents and teachers? Yeah, look, it is Cospark, so we're playing a little bit on the word of being a park. So um, at the um, centre in terms of the hybrid part, we've we've got a whole range of different activities that are, uh, will be occurring at the at the event. We already had sort of planned um, of um, some form of hybrid um, event for the education side of it. Um, one of the reasons for that is that my program um, is very much about equity and trying to get. Um, people particularly from rural, regional and remote areas to be able to be involved in um, such a, a, like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that COSPAR brings. So we already had um, planned for the idea of COSPAR TV, virtual excursions uh, and the and keynote speakers that were going to be, be involved. So what's actually happened is really accelerated that and it's really made it sort of almost a leveller in terms of if you're living in the middle of Sydney or you're living in the back of Brewarana, you can still get the same level of, of access to, again, the world's most prestigious space conference. What we've also done is we've spun off um, some of the, the aspects of what we're going to do at the, at the, on the actual five days so that schools can get involved now and during the event and then after. So we're doing a number of um, programs with students to get them engaged and inspired with space right now. So kids go out to schools. We've got um, global and national competitions that are going to be spun off. I see COSPARC as a little bit like throwing uh, a big rock into a pond. So COSPARC is going to give us a big splash and that's going to be very good to really focus space um, into the, the psyche of education in Australia. But what, it's, what I'm more excited about is the ripple effects that's going to come from, from throwing that big stone into the pond. That is the education and the inspiration that is going to ripple out of that, not only um, next year, but for potentially years and years to come. So we're going to have young people um, that hopefully will come and be working with Russell and working with Lockheed Martin and um, industries all over Australia and the world that will say, I was inspired by being involved in COSPAR and COSPARC back in 2021. And as a result of that, I'm now a data scientist or I'm now a, an engineer or I'm a, um, getting involved in in um, being an astronaut or being part of the space communications race. So this has an, an enormous potential. The other thing that's really exciting as well, um, in similar programs that we were involved with, um, we were able to get this message out, um, not only to New South Wales, but all over Australia and 30 to 40 different countries. We already have connections with um, 
other, other overseas um, educational organisations that really want to be part of this. Now, what that also brings is opportunities for our young people to be inspired not only by Australians, but also their contingent of, of overseas experts. And they don't necessarily have to um, get on a plane um, to be involved. So it's actually brought in a lot more opportunities than we ever thought. So, and I've also got to like thank the organisers, the fact that um, we actually have an education component. And again, going back to, the, to um, what was said, that we need an education system that is going to develop the skill sets that are going to underpin um, the top of careers that are, that are going to be available in, in space. And a lot of those are opportunities that are not normally part of our curriculum at the moment. So we have um, programs that are developing students to, to do complex problem solving, to work in teams, to be able to um, be cognitively um, flexible, be creative in what they, what they do. These are necessarily skills that uh, we don't actually examine. It's not often part of a higher school certificate or a leaving certificate, but the fundamental industry-based skills that our young people need. And events like COSPAR and, uh, and COSPARC are going to allow students to actually develop those skills and understand the part of a the part of an environment um, that is global rather than just local. Fantastic, thanks, Scott. Um, so it sounds pretty innovative what you're doing. But who else is leading in the education space? I guess particularly primary and secondary school STEM education globally. Who, who would you um, pick out as as standout countries in this area? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Um, it's well known that in PISA results, um, Australia has been dwindling in science, uh, mathematics and, and also in English. But one area which has not been really um, publicised is the fact that we do extremely well in um, the area of complex problem solving. And when Ingrid mentioned about um, the fact that, that Australians um, did very well in the, the rocket competition, I've also been involved with a number of international STEM um, competitions, um, namely the F1 in Schools program. Now, the F1 in Schools program um, involves 33 nations around the world. Australia is the most successful country by a mile in these competitions, particularly F1 in Schools. So our students have the ability to do the complex problem solving. So if I was to say where the leaders are in the world, um, maybe a bit biased, but the results are actually showing that Australian students are some of the most innovative, um, complex problem solvers in the world. I'll take your word for that. That sounds great. But I, I won't let you off, though. You've got to, we've, we have an audience from around the world here, so you've got to give me another country or two that you think is, uh, is doing well. And, and Russell, uh, Rod, feel free to add into that as well. Well, I've actually got to include our New Zealand um, friends as well. So New Zealand is, is doing extremely well in space and in, in education, and we're working with them. Um, obviously, uh, the, the US in, in, dif in different um, uh, educational um, areas has got some, some, some great work that they're doing. Um, Germany, in particular, um, 
We also, uh, Finland um, is doing some, some good work in there as well, in education in, in general. Um, but I've, again, I've got to be a little bit biased. Um, we are not necessarily doing well in a number of different areas, but in complex problem solving in particular, and our ability to do STEM programs, things like the CIS program have been recognised nationally and recognised internationally. The workforce development program that spun off from what we did um, was last year uh, recognised by the OECD as world's best practice. Great. Thanks, Scott. I mean, this, this, this education piece is really important for the future. Mm. So, Russell, where are you seeing um, uh, benchmarks being set around the world as well? Uh, I, I would concur with Scott. Um, and when I look into schools and, and when I even see the experiences that my own kids um, are having and have had, uh, Australians really do extremely well at thinking out of the box. And Australian young people are willing to tackle really challenging problems, meaningful problems, and they care deeply about them and, and they're willing to come, uh, they are, are capable and, and are, are seeking to be able to come up with uh, sometimes crazy but um, excellent solutions to complex challenges. And that's very, very exciting. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, so I guess we've mentioned COVID a couple of times, so it would be remiss of me not to ask how each of you is, is conducting your normal business in this uh, COVID uh, environment, this online environment. Mm. Uh, Ingrid, how are you finding um, things have changed? Obviously, mm. the government's had a big shift in terms of um, uh, PPE, um, um, uh, you know, uh, treatment of COVID um, and management of that. Um, are you starting to see, uh, whilst there's obviously still a significant focus on there, that the focus is now going beyond COVID? Absolutely. So I guess, obviously, initially when COVID hit, it was a public health crisis. But the more that this has been sustained, it's become an economic crisis. And mm. it's not just for Australia, it's globally. Um, and so I think that um, what that has meant is that it's it's almost like put a rocket under every business, right? <laughs> because they've, it's caused everybody to, to analyse how they're going about their business, um, to rethink um, all sorts of different aspects of their business, um, to be able to either get through this and survive or, or to um, adapt to the fact that they need to manage their workforce in a really different way. Um, but, you know, this also creates a range of opportunities, right? And, and I think that um, it's going to be a really big opportunity for COSPA Plus, I guess, in terms of making that connection mm. um, with those sectors that hadn't really thought about how space as a domain may change the way that they uh, do their business, how it might improve and innovate and, uh, you know, change the way that they're doing things to, to um, maybe... Um, make it more efficient. Um, it, it also, I think, provides opportunities for businesses, particularly in the manufacturing sector, who might be wanting to pivot and do something different, um, to think about how some of the things that they might be doing might be, um, might be applicable to the space domain. There might be opportunities for them there that they'd never imagined. And so, 
in some ways, I guess, picking up on what you were saying, um, Russell, with the, the president of COSPA saying you got what you wanted, in some ways it's a perfect storm in a positive way mm. because it's created a focus and an impetus that perhaps uh, all of us were probably a lot more comfortable beforehand and didn't have to um, really push ourselves to think about what the opportunities were and how we might want to change and adopt, adapt. Um, it's no longer sort of a choice, it's a necessity. Yep. Agreed. So Russell, Rod, uh, Scott, do you have anything to add, add to that in terms of operating now in this COVID environment? Well, for our team, it was quite a challenge. COVID hit just at the moment when we were about to launch a satellite with our friends Rocket Lab in New Zealand. Uh, that was delayed. It's now in orbit, it's operating successfully. And you can operate from home, that's, that's, you can operate a satellite from home, that's no problems. Uh, but then they, they had to um, set about the task of assembling and testing what will, uh, when it flies next February, um, possibly one of the most complex CubeSat missions ever undertaken anywhere. You can't do that from home. You can't do that virtually. You've got to be hands-on as a team um, doing it. And so that created enormous challenges. We overcome them though. Um, the, the other challenge though is the issue of uh, team culture. And I think businesses all over the world must be struggling with that. How do you maintain uh, the, the, what is actually the more important uh, capability um, an asset and that's the team culture mm. and so it certainly forced us to up our game on, on monitoring the health of individual people and the individual relationships and um, uh, that's a challenge. Mm. Completely agree. Uh, Rod, Scott, anything to add there? Yeah, look in, in terms of education you're aware of um, lockdowns so what um, New South Wales Department of Education moved in, in is to a um, a blended and online online learning approach, um, which is something that has a lot of potential, um, and schools that did it very well um, managed to get some really good outcomes out of it. So, to actually have to upskill such a large workforce in a short period of time uh, was a big challenge, and uh, the New South Wales Department of Education, I think, did a very good, very good job at uh, at doing that. And now we have a legacy in regards to um, the ability for our, our, our staff and our teachers and our educators to be able to deliver um, more um, content using these, these technologies, a little bit analogous to the, um, the, the um, COSPARC um, experience. So that's going to be a lasting, a lasting legacy and, and effect. Uh, what it has also done though is it's shown the need for improvements in, in technology, particularly in regards to um, internet access in rural and regional areas. And an interesting aspect to that, and what I'm really excited about, was in the 7.30 report um, on space, where they mentioned that um, low Earth orbit satellites and satellite broadband is one of the, um, one of the key areas that is being developed. Um, and Australia is, is leading part of that race and they're talking about three to four times the speed of the current NBN um, being available to anywhere um, around, around Australia. So it doesn't matter where you are. That will be an absolute game changer for education. When that comes down the line, that will revolutionise the way that education is delivered in Australia.
Thanks, Scott. Um, so I'm conscious of time. Um, we've only got a couple of minutes left. So um, I do want to thank our panel so much today. I think it's been a great, a great discussion. And I, I think we've touched on so many different areas that I'm sure that discussion and conversation will continue well after the session uh, finishes. And we'd certainly encourage that uh, on Twitter and online as well. Um, I think when we look at um, we've, we've covered how and why Australia's space sector is accelerating. Um, and uh, you know, innovation is in our DNA. So um, clearly, a great opportunity uh, for Australia. And I, th I think we we start to look at the other side of COVID now. We're starting to look at you know, is there going to be a vaccine next year? Will will we be getting into a different operating environment? And I think from from Australia's perspective, we're looking at what is our next competitive advantage? Where where will that come from? And I think from today's discussion, it's clear that space is a very important um, part of that answer. So thank you again to uh, Ingrid, Russell, Rod, and Scott. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed that. Uh, enjoyed it online. Um, the recording from today will, will be uh, saved on our website and available um, for you to, to view. Uh, any questions that you may have posed uh, during the session um, will also be answered uh, directly by the panellists online as well. So that wraps up our conversation today. Uh, please stay tuned though in the coming weeks um, for details on our next webinar in our Global Insights series anticipating tomorrow. So thank you all, our panellists and our online, and uh, we look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you.